and welcome to this week's edition of The Time and Place, the gospel conversation show where we discuss faith on the fringes and do our best to bring God's word to God's world. My name is Solomon. This is Julian. Yo. And today we're going to be talking about God and comics. But first, Julian, what the heck is going on in the world today? Competing worldviews have reached a whole new level. Uh, everybody's favorite poster boy for free speech bought Twitter. So Elon owns it now. Is that go through already? It's or? through. It's set. I thought something could still happen. No, apparently there's almost nothing that could prevent it at this point. Like it's good to go. Huh. Wow. The only that so in response, the government freaks out, starts calling for uh, social media regulation. Yeah. And is establishing their own department it, under the Department of Homeland Defense, a separate department to oversee the spread of disinformation. So. Our very own Ministry of Truth. Yeah, our Orwellian Ministry of Truth. It's here, and it's real. How I really want to see. Has there <laughs> been any anything, any interviews or any podcasts or anything where somebody asks a, a leftist or someone who's for all these things, <laughs> what do you think about 1984? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, uh, like, Are they aware this book exists? Yeah, but they, in their mind, well, in their mind, they're preventing it because in 1984, they were fascists. So they're fighting fascism. What do they think fascism is, though? I don't. Whatever is inconvenient for them at the moment, whoever but their opponent is, that's what fascism they've is. They've left it though. They like they've left the left. Uh, you know, they. Yes. Oh, they. Yes. I think that's what it is. Is they think, well, anything right wing is fascist. Yes. And they're Republicans. And as long as we're not right wing, so we can't be fascist. Yeah. And that's that's what's insane. Is that? Hang on. Look, like. <laughs> Uh, is it really the the thing of like uh, we're Christians, but we don't look like Christians at all? And it's like, well, you can't call yourself a Christian. Then is it the same people who are like, well, we don't have to read our Bible, we don't have to pray, we don't have to go to church, we don't have to do anything, but we're still Christians? That's a good that's a good comparison, you know. Because it basically it's is like, that. Well, maybe you're not. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we were members of those. Like, yeah, but what do you do? How, how are you? How in the world are you a Christian? You're if you're for anti-christian things that's why like calling them liberals doesn't make sense because there's nothing liberal about right. it it's, it's completely the opposite leftist i don't even know left yeah like leftist doesn't even make sense anymore it's crazy dude like i mean it really is nuts this ministry of truth is basically what twitter was but mm. for the government right government they just want fact they wanted yeah they want to be the fact checkers yes and, the, and everything they want to tell you what's true the only difference is twitter doesn't have guns in jails right yes and that's going to be interesting like <laughs> what exactly is the consequence for disinformation yeah being kicked off twitter or getting kicked out of the country <laughs> you kicked out of your home getting put in prison you put it you know they uh this woman too who's in charge of it i, I forget her name but uh she's yeah. she's a whack Nina something she's uh she wrote an article and a book during the Did you see the, her singing yes the oh Mary Poppins or the Sound of Music song with the Mary Poppins. Misinfo Mary Poppins with misinformation. Yeah. Yes. Holy crap. And she's dude. in charge of the government now. This chick is unhinged. <laughs> you were in theater. Like, would you let a theater kid <laughs> <laughs> run part of the, the government? Theater kids all are in charge of the Ministry of Truth. Yeah. I saw that video. I was like, this can't, this has got to be, this is so insane. But that makes sense. I mean, <laughs> the president of Ukraine was a TV star and a comedian. Over there, the court jesters. Yes, everything's <laughs> in charge. Every well, because everything left is performative, right? It's performative mm. uh, opposition. It's performative virtue. So why wouldn't you have a theater person in charge? It's all you know. It makes, optics. It makes sense, and it makes sense that that the the left, le the Hollywood leans left because mm. 
it's an imaginary yes. world that they're living in. Mm-hmm. And so they'll create TV shows and movies where certain sort of relationships work out or certain sort of scenarios people where people are satisfied being lost. Mm. When in reality they're really not. Yes. You know I like I mean? that. And it's that it's it's it is the romanticization of that being lost and well, there's no answers. Yes. And well, we're all just kind of <laughs> we're all trying to find our way drifting through the cosmos. Right. You know, and so they say that and they put it in movies and songs, music, you know, mm-hmm. uh in TV shows. But in reality, they're miserable. Yeah. They're all addicted to painkillers. Right. You know, but they don't show that part in the movie. No. You know what I mean? Well, and when they do, they even romance that. Again, like the yeah. drug addiction is the romantic, the, yes. yeah. Train spotting and well, it's like it's you know what it is. It's the it's the tortured genius. Yes, it's the Rick uh, from Rick and Morty. It's the yes. I'm I just have figured it all out, and it's all meaningless. And it's all fake. And right. I, you know, and you, everyone else is just too dumb. Yes, if you're ever if you're ever happy and satisfied <laughs> or content in any way, you're an idiot. You're just you haven't you haven't been enlightened. Right, cynicism is intelligence. Once, you, once you've been enlightened, you'll be miserable. Yes. That's exactly awesome. what it is. <laughs> what a message. What a great <laughs> thing to have. Yeah. And then, the, but then they'll have to like tie it up with something of like, well, like, there's family. Maybe he's not. Yeah. Maybe well, he's not right. There is know, something. For, for, but for today, he's a genius, but he's missing through. this yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all stupid. <laughs> I so saw, it makes sense that the, the theater kid <laughs> in that, and all, I say all that to say it makes sense that a theater kid or performative, you know, actor in weirdo is. Part of the Ministry of Truth. I saw a post on a uh, TikTok where uh, somebody made a, a comment like, uh, "Some guy was talking to me about his fourth kid, and he was going on about it, and he was like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to brag, but I was thinking to myself, like, no, your life sounds way worse than mine. It's not a problem.'" And I was like, "How? How does that guy's life worse than your? What are you doing?" Man, I was listening to our last episode talking about like the survival of the fittest mm-hmm. and, and natural selection and stuff, and it just it it's so they're so contradictory because they claim that's how the world works yes and while doing it <laughs> while killing literally killing off their offspring yeah and we're having kids and so it's like don't you see where this is going that's why they have to have yours that's why they educate yes yeah because yeah. they, they can't they don't yours. have their own yeah yeah <sighs> man so no. better leave a legacy or someone else is going <laughs> to and do it for you man. so man Speaking of um, cynicism, getting into our topic today, Christianity and comics. Comics with an X and comics with a C because it covers both. So, yeah. Um, I would say, I, I wouldn't say right under religion, comic books is probably the biggest thing in my life that influenced <laughs> me as a kid growing up. Like the two, the two most important things to me were it was like yeah. church, faith, and the comic book store. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, we worked at a comic book store. Yeah. Sort of met at a comic book store and worked together at a comic book store. We right. met before that. And I at church. Yeah. <laughs> met at church and then started working at a comic book store together. And that was fun. Um, yeah, I got really into comics just like from an academic sense. Like mm. I wanted to like write comics, but I also did all my papers in college about comics <laughs> and stuff like my friend had a history paper or an art, art paper mm-hmm. i did an art paper about crumb and nice. uh, my art appreciation class we had to pick an artist and so i picked crumb and it, it was a documentary i saw and stuff and just about comic book art in general and wrote a whole paper on it mm. and is it uh, comic comic book confidential or was it a different one what uh the documentary that you saw about it no it was, it was a uh comic book confidential yeah 
mean, Art School Confidential? That no, no, no. That's the movie that's which the movie. I've also seen. That's yeah. the Dan Klaus movie. No, but there's yeah. there's a, a a book and a doc called no, I haven't seen, it Comic Book Confidential. Just called Crumb, I think. Okay, yeah, there is a okay. There's a Crumb one too. Yeah. There's a com- I know there's a one called Comic Book Confidential where Crumb is in it, but so is Frank Miller, and it's like oh. everybody who was big in the '80s in comics huh. was in it. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I've always looked at that, and then in that too, I actually took a Anthropology of Superheroes class in college, hmm. and I, the when we were working at Heroes, the professor came in oh, nice. in the summer, and he came in looking for comics for the class. And he told me that, and I was like, "Oh, I was like, well, I go to UTSA. <laughs> you got any spots? Yeah." And he's like, "Sign up." And he's like, "What?" He's like, "I'm actually looking for some like sort of cyborg comics and stuff." And I was like, "Oh, okay." So uh, I got to help pick out the nice the curriculum, curriculum for the class, <laughs> <laughs> and sold it to the professor. And 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 then I actually and then I had to, like buy the comics at the school because they had them. God, thank God it was you, and he didn't walk in and meet someone who gave him like a stack of Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> well, I showed him. I tried to show him. <laughs> and he used ex ex machina okay uh for that. that's what i suggested to him but right. then he had some other book that sucked and then he had like miss marvel <laughs> the new okay. one and stuff he had like yeah. some, he had some crap in okay. there for sure and the total the class total became like was not what i thought it was going to mm-hmm. be it was just basically anthropology with superheroes because ah, okay. he was an anthropology teacher right and it just became i thought it was like we're going to study I should have known. Like it's an anthropology <laughs> class. Like it's not going to be studying. It's not going to be like the roots of as, superheroes yeah, and the history, as yeah. literature. That's right. what I was looking for. Uh, but the reason I, I was excited about that because in this book, Super Gods by Great. Grant Morrison, Great book. he talks about the two D universe of comic books mm. being a real existing place, like an actual place that's as real as anything we understand to be real. Right. And he was talking about how writers <clears throat> in in artists come to comics and come to these characters and readers uh, come to these characters and to comics. He said, we can either come as missionaries or anthropologists mm. as in missionaries come and try to change their culture. Yes. And try to indoctrinate them and try to convert them mm. away from their native ways to their way. And anthropologists come and just study, just observe and report and look and study. And he was saying, that's how we should come to comics mm. is as anthropologists, uh, not as missionary. Don't try to make superhero like you. Don't make like Superman like you. Right. Don't like try to make the comics like the real world. They're not. They're in. They're in their own world. Right. Just that's okay. Leave them there, and we can just observe and interact with them on their terms. So it that's was, fair. It's very heady and very weird and like meta, you know. Yeah. And so that's i was excited about this anthropology superheroes and, <laughs> and then it was not that it was totally bust. <laughs> yeah i like that concept though because i feel like that's why comics have been kind of sucky lately is because people are approaching it as missionaries oh yeah they're as they're woke missionaries yes. trying to impose like hey thor you need to be a girl yes exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they've turned it into uh uh they're turning characters into themselves yeah gay and trans and, and trans female woke minority mm-hmm that's just that's crazy to me. I, that's one thing that about the woke stuff that I never understood was when they were like, you know, you have to see characters that look like you. And I was like, why? Why is it only relatable if it's you? Like you can only relate to yourself. That's it. Because <laughs> Spider Man is not me, and I love Spider Man. I've never had a problem. Like, yeah, you know, we're I don't know. That's just strange to me. Well, so I want to kind of jump into Super Gods, which honestly I think we should start a podcast going through that. No, oh. <laughs> we should, but we should start a podcast where we talk about theology and mm. comics and call it Super Gods. That'd be pretty good. 
that would be pretty cool. You get on, you get Grant Morrison. On. Yes, you get Connor <laughs> Peters on. Try and convert them. Try to convert um, them. <laughs> uh, I like this one part. He says, uh, I tend to believe that the reverse is true, that it's adults who have the most <clears throat> trouble separating fact from fiction. Mm. A child knows that real crabs on the beach do not sing or talk like the cartoon crabs <laughs> and Little Mermaid. A child can accept all kinds of weird looking creatures and bizarre occurrences in a story because the, ch- the child understands that stories have different rules that allow for pretty much anything to happen. Adults, on the other hand, struggles desperately with fiction, demanding constantly that it conform to the rules of everyday life. Adults foolishly demand to know how Superman can possibly fly or how Batman can possibly run a multi-billion dollar business empire during the day and fight crime at night. Right. When the answer is obvious to the smallest <laughs> child because it's not real. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and i like it you know grant morrison's uh this is, this is super gods by grant morrison really great but he's a comic writer really crazy weird guy but a uh, really awesome book about comics and the world and uh just all kinds of different stuff really cool but i love his approach to it because you know people ask like oh uh batman could could bat who would win batman or superman he's like superman of course like come on yeah are you crazy <laughs> he's he has superpowers Batman doesn't like that's it game over. Like, oh, what about this? What about that? okay? Whatever. <laughs> when you try to real world it, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's if you want to, that's real world. There's one interview I saw where he was talking about that, where someone was badgering about how like the the mechanics of Superman's flight, and he was like, "Oh, it's very simple. He flies because it's not real. That's why he can fly." <laughs> like, yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't remember if it was him, but it was something. It was like, uh, how, uh, how do you kill a vampire? Someone asked. Like, oh, it was Max Landis. <laughs> Max Landis said it. I don't. Yeah. How do you kill a vampire? Like, oh, drive a stake through his heart. Oh, garlic. Or oh, he's like, no, uh, can't kill a vampire. Vampires aren't real. Right. <laughs> there's no such thing. So there's no rules. There's no rules. This. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. <laughs> uh, this is next second part too, because there's a golden age of of comics, which was like what 1939, 39, to yeah, 50, beginning to the 60s, really, 55, yeah. 56, something like that. So the golden age was over, but the world in which the heroes were dying was a world that needed them like never before. 50s America was a land of edginess and prowling paranoia, hovering as it did on the verge of thermonuclear annihilation. Mm. Alone at night in the midst of unprecedented luxury after a successfully won world war, Americans were more frightened than ever before. There was fear of the bomb, the communist, the homo, the negro, the teenager, the id, the flying Mm. saucers, the existential void. There was the space race with its launch into the limitless unknown and Kinsey's groundbreaking surveys into the sexual habits of Americans opening and dripping treasure chest of a buttoned up country's inner life, revealing a sleep, a sleep world of polychromatic polymorphous perversity (laughs) acted out behind a camouflage of pipe smoking patriarchs Mm. and Stepford wives. There were as many different kinds of fear as there were brands of gum. Man, is that wrap up the fifties? Yeah, pretty much. Of like this beaver cleaver picture, <laughs> the veneer but then like of yeah, constant like yeah, kids hiding Anxiety, under the desk, yes, the bomb, the bomb. That's the craziest thing to think about is that they really were on the verge of annihilation every day. Do it's, it's crazy to think about like oh my god, the bomb. Uh, we could go to nuclear war any second. Yeah, now. it's about to end. Yeah. Do you think that? I I think that. Ha- you think that had the most to do with premillennial eschatology dispensational Ooh. eschatology i could i could definitely of see end that. of the world yeah and annihilation. like we can destroy ourselves at any moment right now it's ending yeah. the revelation is talking about us and mm. i mean that had to right that I had to heighten that. that i mean i've talked to people who were we talk we talk a lot about on the show about 
patriarchy and mm. leaving a legacy and our grandchildren worshiping the same God as we do, thinking about the future long term, right? And how what we're doing now sets that up in a spiritual way, laying that foundation for our children and grandchildren to be Christians and to just leave a legacy that way, like a biblical Christian legacy. And I, I remember talking to people, this couple at our church who are like my parents' age, and we were talking about all this stuff. And she's like, you know, we didn't, yeah, we never talked about this. We never thought. She's like, it was the 80s. The night like we thought Jesus was coming back any second. We didn't think about our kids as adults. Man. I was like, you didn't think about your kids as adults. Like, what would they do? And I think they really didn't. You know, the the, the uh, party like it's nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah. I asked my mom, I was like, what did y'all think <clears throat> about uh, like the year two thousand was coming? She's like, it never crossed our <laughs> minds once in high school in the seventies and eighties in high school that you in in a few years you're going to see the millennium. What do you think about that? They didn't think about it at wow. all. Wow. It's crazy how out of their mind it was of like, you're going to see 2023. You realize that, right? Right. People live, I mean, the the the, the, the lifespan, lifespan is, yeah. is not 50 years old. You're probably going to be 60 or 70. Like, you're going to see, you know, it's and it's crazy that they don't even, like, think about that at all. That is crazy because I feel like now we think about the future so much. Yeah. Like, where is this technology going? Where is society going to be? What are we looking at in the future? I can't fathom that world where you don't even think that's a, a conversation that my wife and I have a lot is like, well, I wonder what they're going to be like when they're older. I wonder what they're going to be into when they're old. Like I can't yeah. fathom just not yeah. thinking that that's crazy. Yeah. Um, it's one interesting part too. He's talk, he talks about Grant Morrison's whole thing was he was afraid of the bomb. And so that's why he yes. liked Superman. Right. Because Superman like stopped. Nuclear he was stronger than the stuff, bomb. And he was like, he could, he could save us. Yeah. And so it's all of the atomic age stuff. He was really like freaked out by that. He says, uh, in the Marvel U, radiation was a kind of pixie dust. Sprinkle it <laughs> on a scientist, and voila, a superhero was born. Radiation was responsible for the origins of the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, the Hulk, X-Men, Daredevil, and several other early Marvel superheroes, transforming the isotopes of fear into fuel rods of wonder and possibility. Lee stole, Stan Lee stole back the annihilating radiation of the bomb, and for children like me, raised in its icy shadow, he peopled the glowing darkness with extraordinary heroes. So it's interesting how like this specter of doom mm -hmm. of the bomb and radiation, everything Stanley kind of turned and like, Hey mate, what if gamma radiation didn't give you cancer? Right. What if it turned you <laughs> to the Hulk? What if it made you more powerful? Like, well, that was a, I think that was a very revolutionary turn right. of like, Hey, let's look at this in a good light. Optimism. Radiation can help you. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Like, I don't know. I thought that was cool. Um, and then he talks about, uh, Peter Parker and what you were kind of talking about like relatable heroes and stuff mm -hmm. he says spotty hormonal outsiders had a new hero in Peter <laughs> Clark Kent had his own apartment and a steady job but Peter was a genuine loser <laughs> Peter revealed the truth behind the sugared lies of Barry Allen and Ray Palmer <laughs> the sugared lies of Barry Allen and Ray Palmer no good looking girl every fan ever fancied a scientist Peter effed up got the flu ran out of money and hope Peter would sit hand sewing his damaged Spider-Man costume in his tiny room at Aunt Mays in Queens while newspapers condemned his crime-fighting alter ego as a menace to society. That was interesting about, like, um, yeah, that relatable hero. Yeah. That's why I like Spider-Man. Right, yeah. Because it's like, man, I've I felt pretty down and out sometimes. Right. And, you know, just to have that, like, hope. <laughs> to, <laughs> that maybe it'll like, work out. Yeah. Spider-Man can get through it. That Parker look. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> I remember that too when I was when I was wrestling when I had like blow out my gear I'm like yeah I gotta be at home sewing this shut now <laughs> you feel like Spider Man <laughs> feel like Spider Man sewing his suit up 
so so Grant Morrison's whole thing is that he can uh dude, this thing's about to fall. Uh he can visit the 2D universe uh as an anthropologist or as himself. I think it's still gonna do this way loose. Anyway, um, and this is kind of where we can like tie it into uh, what I think as far as what the how this spoke to me as a Christian. Mm-hmm. This idea of different universes and stuff is that God is the author of our universe, right? And we are the author of these comic two D comic book universes, right? And that kind of put it in the context for me as far as mm. uh, sovereignty. And who we are, right? In relation, who, yeah, and who God is, <laughs> and who, who's really in control here. Mm. And that early, like, kind of painted a picture. And I guess you could do the same with novels, yeah, and stuff. And I know C.S. Lewis did that a little bit with Shakespeare, as far as like, you know, what if what if the author came into the story, mm-hmm. you know, from because the 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 like I think you talked about like Hamlet, you know, he can't he can't find Shakespeare, so Shakespeare right. could find him Mm -hmm. you know put himself in into the story and that's what grant morrison actually like literally did right he takes that to like a whole new level well uh he says um let me see he said talks about says in the real world superheroes looked like drawings or special effects as artist david mazzicelli would one day state so succinctly quote once a depicted depiction veers toward realism each new detail releases a torrent of questions that exposes the absurdity at the heart of the genre the more quote realistic superheroes become, the less believable they are. It's a delicate balance, but this much I know: superheroes are real when they're drawn in ink. So my experiment on Animal Man, which is a DC comic he wrote, were described as critic by critics as metafiction or fiction about fiction, and perhaps that was an easy way in for some readers. But I felt that I was onto something more concrete and less rooted in abstraction or theory. The fictional universe I was interacting with was as real as our own. As I began to think of the DC universe as a place, it occurred to me that there were two ways to approach it, as a missionary or as an anthropologist. Mm. So that's what he's talking about. He says, Animal Man, I created with the help of my artistic collaborator, Chaz Truog, a paper version of myself that could be integrated with the 2D DC universe. I sent my avatar onto the page surface to meet the Animal Man character and confirmed suspicions he'd been having that his life, so his life story, was being written by some demiurgic Gnostic overlord. <laughs> I explained to my character how the people who wrote his life needed drama and shock and violence to make this story interesting. The implication was that our own lives might also be written to entertain or instruct an audience in a perpendicular direction we could never point to, interacting with us in ways we could scarcely understand, but that could be divined in the relationship of the comic world to the world of the of the creator and audience, man, it's it's re- that that is what's really interesting. Like the creator and the audience, and I think God is both. You know, mm. well, it's, it's also I mean that's very Pauline when Paul talks about the things that happened in Exodus and uh, all through the Torah, and he's like, these things happened to them, but they were written down for our yeah. benefit so that we would understand these principles, right? So, and they, they themselves and us being characters in this story. In right. this, and I think that's how we need to look at reality is this is God's story and mm. we are in it. And 
I think to a lot of pre- people that's depressing and they don't like that. <laughs> they don't like being having so little autonomy. Mm, right. You know, and but it's like that's I think the sooner you accept that, the more things make sense. Well, and in Animal Man, that's how Buddy reacts too when he finds out it's a story. He's like, This is my life. This yeah. isn't a story. You yeah. killed my wife, you killed my kids. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> well, <laughs> they weren't yours. I mean, they weren't, you know, they weren't real, but yeah. Um, yeah, it says in this other part, it says there were real superheroes, of course, they did exist. They lived in paper universes suspended in pulp continuum where they never aged or died unless it was to be reborn better than ever with a new costume. Real superheroes lived on the surface of the second dimension. The real lives of real superheroes could be contained in two hands. They were so real, they had lives that were longer than any human life. They mm. were more real than I was. They say most human names and biographies mm-hmm. are forgotten after four generations. But even the most obscure Golden Age superhero is likely to have a life and a renown that will last as long as trademarks are revived. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Like, Bob Kane is dead and Batman isn't. Yeah. That's... <laughs> well, and, and he mentions, too, about, like, facts and truth hmm. and how... You can be wrong about Batman. You know what I mean? Hmm. So like, oh, Batman, and then Batman flew and did this. Like, wait a second, right, Batman doesn't fly. Hang on, you're in, you're incorrect. <laughs> Say, what do you mean about like, this fake? Thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then he puts it like in the in the past and stuff. As far as like, well, Abraham Lincoln and Julius Caesar, like mm-hmm. these are characters, you know. And then like Sherlock Holmes and stuff. He's like, are these? When does you know? Mm. There's a photograph of. Julius Caesar or Sherlock right. Holmes, you know? And so what are we talking about here? When we talk huh. about you, all we know is how they're written on paper and stuff. So it's kind of like that blending of fact and fiction, you know, hmm. that's interesting. Cause I think we think about Bible characters yes. in that way too. Right. Like we think of them as like characters and not yeah. real people. Yeah. And they've been mythologized. Yes. And, there, and there's a whole process of that, of, you know, the thing, some you know, stories becoming a legend <clears throat> yes. and stuff. But it's weird to think like, okay, the furthest back you can go is Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going to get all my creation so far <laughs> for a second. I mean, this this has been on my mind a lot lately. Okay. Because uh, I just finished on The Origin of Species by, by Darwin. Mm. And uh, there's some other books I'm, I'm, I'm planning on reading. I've just been doing a lot of research on this. And um, yeah, Adam and Eve, they, they've, in the garden, that more than probably any other story gets mythologized. Yes. Right? And put into legend and song and poetry or whatever. Right. And we need to be very careful when we do that. I understand the genre argument. I understand, you know, we need to read the Bible as it is, which is, you know, in song, it's in poetry. Okay, I agree. But there can be songs and poetry about real things that happen about real people. Mm-hmm. And and I would classify it more as that, autobiographical legend or myth. Mm. But it's the true myth yes, that makes all myth. other myths right. mean, meaningful or anything else. Because, you know, you think back like, okay, Julius Caesar, Abraham Lincoln, something. We don't have anybody alive that knew them. Right. Or even knew their grandkids. Right. Or even, knew, you know what I mean? So then it kind of gets drifted off into like, well, it, it's it's the past. It's history. It's, it's it, it Did it exist? Did things really happen that way? And there's a bunch of quotes from different people like, well, it's doubtful they really said that. You know, mm-hmm. who knows? You know, things become legend. Right. And stuff like that. So, uh the issue is we can we can we have artifacts of Julius Caesar. Yes. We have art, right? We find right. we find ruins of ancient civilization that that 
there's writings about him that are old that are from that time that we have right. Marcus Aurelius. You know, we have meditations, we have these things that they wrote down and were passed on. And I think in, in many ways the Bible is that as far as the mm -hmm. characters and stuff right. in, the, in, in the Bible. But also, what remnant or art, artifact or little piece of you know history, tangible piece of history that do we have from the Garden and Adam mm -hmm. and Eve uh, in, in the beginning of creation that we still have today? It's death. Right. Because Adam and Eve is a story of how death enters the world. And that's not a poetic death. It's an actual death. It's actual <laughs> death and pain and sin and misery and suffering. That if those exist, Adam and Eve exist. Mm. Not only that, death, there can't be this theistic evolution because there can't be millions of years of death right. before the fall. Yes. So that, that's the story is like, uh, you know, there was all this evolution, and then and then the lower hominids, and then the Neanderthals, and then there was some spark, spark of divination, spark of spirit, you know, of the spirit of consciousness into some animal, and that was really maybe how God right. entered into this creation. But the problem is that 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 was so that was so that's Adam and Eve, and then they fall. So then there's sin, and sin and death enter the world. But death would have had to exist for millions of years. Yes. The process. Evolution is the process of death. And so you, can, but you, can, so you can't have nature <laughs> red in tooth and claw right. for millions of years before the fall. You just can't. That's, that's, that, and death is the enemy of Christ. Mm. And that's what he came to defeat. Mm. So if death is not an enemy of Christ and just something that he can look down on and say this is good right. yes, before the right. fall— then what did Jesus come for? What does any of it mean? Yeah, nothing. How can you even call yourself a Christian if right. you start meddling with the <laughs> very the very reason that Jesus came to Earth, and so which is to conquer death? Mm. And so, I mean, it just doesn't line up theologically or, or doctrinally right. in a, in a big way, in a, a huge like, way. John three sixteen, right? You know everything I mean? <laughs> everything hinges on Genesis, yes, one through three. Yeah, without that, like the Gospels don't make sense. There's Nothing no, Paul writes no makes sense. Second Adam with no first Adam, right? Exactly. There's no reason the second Adam is because the first Adam. Okay, first Adam <clears throat> can't be a song if the second <laughs> Adam, you know, is real. Right. But the problem is, I think, I think this is a really big blind spot and really big uh, issue of how people see uh, Jesus and mm. and their own sin is. As metaphorical, mm. well, it's not really, you know, we start doing that with our own sin even today. Mm. Same way we do with the garden. Well, that's just kind of what they thought, and that's how, the best way they could explain origins. Right. They didn't know. They didn't have science. They didn't have all these things we have today. Uh, but people start doing that with their own sin. It's like, well, you know, are they psychotic? Well, you know, they're environment, the product of their environment. They're not really sinning. It's they're just you know lashing out. It's a product. Mm. It's how they were raised. We psychologize and scientism right. these things away. Just today, as we do with our own sin, as we do with Adam's sin mm. at the very beginning. So, so if we do that with with the garden, why shouldn't we do that with with the gospel right. today? If we reject the garden. Why do we reject you know Christ's empty tomb? <laughs> you know. So I think that's they're, they're more connected than we think. I think in a, in in a really. Mm big like you know detrimental way i think about that with the atonement a lot when uh i was watching a video where a guy was talking about atonement theory and the various theories and obviously we're, we subscribe to penal substitutionary atonement right mm -hmm. like christ died to satisfy the wrath of god 
which I think is scripturally borne out. I don't understand how you could read the scripture and come to any other conclusion other than that. When he's a propitiation yeah. offered for sin, like who is he offered to and who is he satisfying? On that cross of Jesus died, <laughs> the wrath of God. Was that yeah. right? Exactly. They want to change that line. <laughs> yes, they do. Right? To not, to no, he love, came to what free is it, us. The love of God was satisfied. No, I mean, Isaiah open, 53, open wide, he pleased God, it pleased God to crush him. Like, <laughs> where, do you, where else can you go with that? Yeah. But I think, yeah, I think we like to mythologize all of that. Yeah. And I don't know... I mean, I guess I do know because it gives us license to do whatever we want, and that's that's why. You know, I, that just that bothers me. I've, I I like the idea of it being mythical but true too. I've kind of in my own mind refer to it the Bible that is as the meta myth because it is mythic, but it's the myth that everything exists inside of. Right. So it's the, it's the myth that encompasses reality. So it's the meta myth. It's the myth that all other myths exist inside of. Right. And, and, and I think people are very dissatisfied to, f- to feel like our lives and the whole history of humanity and everything is, is a story. Right. Um, but we know the ending of the story. Right. And it's good. Right. So, <laughs> you know, take comfort in that, you know, as far as uh, having our eyes open. And it really is that, like, thing of of Buddy Baker seeing Grant yes. Morrison of, like, who are you? You know, like, what? You're, you know, and that's how Christ came into the story. Like he he stepped down. I like it too because I pulled up this panel right here where yeah. Morrison actually meets Buddy, and they have this this exchange where he says, you know, Buddy says to him, "I feel things, I care about things. You can't take that away from me." Mm-hmm. And I think that's how a lot of people do look at the sovereignty of God. Like I made choices, I have freedom. You can't take that away from me. Yeah, and it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> you you thought you did. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. With this, like, uh, there's this really good book called "Who Needs a Superhero." by H. Michael Brewer. I found this at half price, random, and just kind of started looking through it. It says, finding virtue, vice, and what's holy in the mm. comics. So this is like exactly our book. This is, <laughs> he goes through different characters and he, and he does, and he draws different parallels mm, between okay. them. You know, like Spider-Man, great power comes great responsibility, right. showing out, you know, if, if we've been enlightened and, and shown mm. the gospel and the power, saving power of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to whom to, much is given, much is required. Right. I mean, right. so there's a lot of parallels, <laughs> even to like uh, uh, Siegel and Schuster uh, creating a, a god-like superhero called uh, Kal El. Right. Yes. With that, <laughs> with that L being the Hebrew for God. Right. For God. Right? And that's like the kind of classic. I don't. We don't even know if they meant to do that or if it was just kind of. Well, came it just came out of their worldview, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> their background. Like, let's just have it be L. Like okay, um, but with. Batman specifically, you know, uh, this book talks about uh, Batman as like trying to save himself and being on a mission that hmm. he like bears this weight of guilt and responsibility and oh. stuff and how we can't. That's not OK. We shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> right. It says, Batman passes through the world wrapped in mourning colors and guilt. His hard work and good deeds always fall short. He tries so fervently, but he never measures up in his own eyes. Mm. A lifetime of self-sacrifice and joyless virtue cannot atone for the guilt he carries. Even his muscled shoulders can scarcely bear that load. Batman has much in common with the rich young man who asked Jesus how to find salvation Mm. in Matthew 19. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? The man asked. (laughs) Jesus first reminded the young man that, only God is good, and we human beings should keep our goodness in proper perspective. Then Jesus pointed the secret to the laws of Moses. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Had the young man been older and wiser, Jesus' reply might have humbled him. After all, a true law-keeping 
True law keeping requires obedience that's inward as well as outward. And can anyone honestly claim to have never wished harm to another or harbored a lustful thought or stretched the truth? But the young man was brash. I've kept all these, he said. What do I still lack? So that that is Batman. Of like, who who done more good than Batman? Right. You know? <laughs> not not a superhero. I mean, in our own human, you know, right capacity, we he, don't fight crime every night. Right. <laughs> but he just he bears this like guilt that he can't yes uh, forgive himself. Batman which, is Catholic, which is actually yes, <laughs> oh, yes, that's a lot of he's making Christi- penance. Of Christianity is yes penance, and I I can't got to fight and suffer and you know. <laughs> And yeah, but it's like that is not the Christian way. Right. It 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 is uh the Catholic way, (laughs) but not the Christian way, the biblical Christian way. There's there's no there's no surrender there. Right. And he can't forgive himself, which is actually a sin. Because Mm. if we can't say we say like, oh, there's a lot of people say, Oh, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. Okay, you're putting your standard above God. Right who do you think you are to do that? <laughs> you know, it's so arrogant mm. and prideful to say sounds like humility, but it's not, it's, it's actually not, right. very, it's a big sin. Mm. <laughs> you put your forgiveness, standard forgiveness above God's and that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so that was Batman's big, big one. Oh, he talks about, um, let me see. Yeah. There's one other thing about Batman. He says, the truth is Batman's sole hope for peace and redemption lies precisely in surrendering himself to forgiveness. Only mm. when Batman gives up the quest for personal perfection will he be able to welcome the grace that cannot be earned. Mm. Although Batman is as good as any human being can be, he will never be good enough. Neither hard work nor good works can free Bruce Wayne from the guilt and despair that torment him. No matter how fiercely he tries, Batman can never save himself. No one can. With human beings, this is impossible. Um, there was another one where he talks about uh, he talks about Wonder Woman and Truth. Um, hmm. And that was pretty interesting. Uh, but he talks about Daredevil and discernment. So huh. kind of seeing, because he can hear everything. Right. Right. And so he has to filter out right. the noise <laughs> and stuff. Um, <clears throat> says, oh, hang on. Is this, well, he says, uh, immersing ourselves in the Bible is the surest way to understand who God is. As we read of God's mighty acts and ponder God's messages delivered through prophets and letter writers, we develop a working knowledge of the nature and character of God. So he's talking about how like how we grow grow discernment and wisdom, mm. and it's by immersing ourselves in prayer and in the Bible, and right. so we know the true one. And he has this story because the more you study Scripture and the more you study God, the more you can uh, the the more you can spot a counterfeit. Right. And so he has this story about uh, a counterfeit comic. He says, "Ever so often, a counterfeit comic." <laughs> Comes along, and a few unwary people pay an exorbitant price for a worthless book. Oof. For instance, phony copies of Eerie Number no. One made the rounds a few years ago, and they sold quite well until the world until the word got around. When DC reprinted the extremely rare Action Number no. One, the company made the reprint an oversized edition and added an outer cover identifying the book as a fashion mail. Uh, even with these precautions, some unscrupulous sellers removed the extra cover and sold them in mutilated reprint of huge for huge sums of money. <laughs> The unfortunates who buy these bogus books usually don't know much about comics to start with. They will fall for a fake because they never seen the real thing. At a convention, I saw a well-meaning fan approach Dave Sim, the creator of Cerebus the Aardvark, with a bootleg copy of the first issue. Since I own the original, I recognized the fake, but the proud owner didn't. He presented the book to Dave Sim and asked him to sign it. 
Sim matter of factly opened the book and signed the name of fantasy artist Frank Frazetta at the, <laughs> at the bottom of the first page. The bewildered fan looked at the signature and sputtered, but you aren't Frank Frazetta. And that's not Cerebus number one, Sim said. <laughs> she needed to point out the telltale signs the book was a fake. So we learned that you got to be careful with what comics you buy and that Dave Sim's kind of a dick. <laughs> I mean, I knew that, but... <laughs> Yeah, so it's just it's, it's talk about like being, you know, studying the real thing so you can spot the counterfeits, mm. basically. You know, this is kind of a I want to tell an anecdote from the time we worked at the comic book store because putting it to biblical perspective, it, it reminds me of the story of Jacob and Esau. Mm-hmm. Uh, Esau was willing to sell his birthright for a, a bowl of soup. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, I don't know how you could forget it. Uh, but we used to get from time to time guys that would come in with Tupperware bins full of comic books. Like, oh, I've got this collection. It's it's a bunch of stuff. It's all number ones. And it was all early 90s image yeah. crap that you didn't you couldn't sell. There was a million copies. We can't do anything with it. Yeah. So every time it was like, we can't, we can't, we don't need it. We can't take it. One time this guy came in and I know for sure Rick was there. I think you were there too. This guy comes in and he says, uh, I got this bin of books. Uh, I don't know. My uncle died. I don't really know anything about comics, but I don't want it anymore. So can you like, can I sell this? And we're like, all right, well, let's crack it open. So you crack it open. We're looking inside, and immediately, first Punisher. <laughs> like, okay. And we're going through it, and there's more Death of Electra, uh, first Wolverine. All of this stuff like, sitting in there. Like 300, 500. Yeah, objects. and trying to keep a straight face, like not, not you know, not trying to poker face him. And he's like, yeah, I don't really know anything about him. I, I was hoping like $300. <laughs> Absolutely, you can have $300 for all of this. You shafted him, you didn't tell him. I mean, I didn't make the deal. <laughs> <laughs> but you know I, who did and you yeah, know who shafted him. yeah i did that i did that one time on accident this lady this older lady came in this is at the other comic store okay where i was gm and uh she comes in and she's like i have all these comics my son left them or something and he doesn't want them i just i need to get rid of them they've been in my garage and I'm like, and there was like three long boxes. And I'm like, I can't, oh, I just don't, and it was busy. It was busy. It was like a Saturday. I was like, right. I, I, I don't have no time. time. Yeah. I was like, I can take them and, and look through. I was like 50 bucks for for all, all of them, just without sight unseen. Right. You know, I'm taking the risk. I haven't looked what's in there. It's all <laughs> You're crap. getting 50 bucks. Well, yeah. I look, kind of looked through the first few. And it's all uh, 90s stuff. Okay. And I'm like, okay. It's general, you know, like, okay. 90s suck, sucked. And they are worthless <laughs> usually. And I gave her 50 bucks for like three long boxes. And. Uh, she's like, okay, thanks, you know, whatever. And then, so like, the next day or, like, later that week, we start going through them. See, like, first Harley Quinn in <sighs> comics. First uh, Deadpool. Oh, my God. <laughs> first Hellboy. <laughs> for, like, a lot. I was like. Oh, that's even more rare. The first Hellboy. Like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but with all the, with every trip purchase, we, we get their info. And so I called her and tried to do the right thing i was like i felt so bad i was like i was like dang it <laughs> i call and i was like hey we looked through these and there's some more expensive books and and she was like well i was like so you could probably get more for these online right you know or something and she's like i don't know how to do that <laughs> oh, and i'm like God. well i don't know and she's like that's fine oh and i was like i'm sorry <laughs> So the lesson is, if your family leaves yeah. you anything, and she was like from out of town, or so she, was like, <laughs> oh, she wasn't coming you back. You couldn't yeah. go back in town. Or oh, something. I was man. like, uh, I give you more money. I come in, you know. Yeah, so I felt bad about that, but that's so you know, good. Was, oh man, it worked out for us. Yeah, right. It always does. 
There's one more section from this book <laughs> I want to read. Is I thought it was pretty interesting. It talks about Captain America's shield, mm. and you know, I mean, of course, classic, right. you know, shield. And God protects us. God watches over us and everything. But then he talked about Wolverine, and he's talking about different forms of protection and how uh, we say God watches over us. We God all these things, but bad things happen. Like right. I don't see how Paul was really protected, you know, <laughs> in a lot of ways. He had a pretty miserable life, and a lot of Christians face a lot of bad, tragic things. Right. And he said, uh, uh, "I said this is this after all is Wolverine's chief heroic quality: the ability to keep on keeping on. He feels <laughs> he feels pain just as keenly as anyone else, but he knows he can survive the pain." And come throughout to the other side. When we think about God's protection, we need to remember both Wolverine and Captain America. Sometimes God prote- God's protection is an unbreakable shield, deflecting the dangers that would destroy us. At other times, God's protection is the sustaining inward strength mm. that sees us through and heals us afterward. Paul had his, this inner power in mind when he wrote, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Mm. 2 Corinthians 4.16 God always knows what we need, and God unfailingly provides for both our protection and growth. So that's, I mean, that's interesting. Like, sometimes it is a shield. Right. And sometimes the shield is the Holy Spirit inside you, Mm. sustaining you and carrying you through, like Wolverine's adamantium skeleton. (laughs) You know, being able to regenerate. Right. And just to, to bounce back and not be completely obliterated even by a bomb or something. Right. And as you get older, you start to see that in your life play out. Yeah. Like you really do. That's interesting. That's a really interesting way that to was, look at that. That was, uh, that, that, that was pretty cool. What's the name of that one again? Just, if anybody wants to find that. Yeah. Who needs a superhero uh, by H. Michael Brewer. H. Michael Brewer, if you're out there. You get him on the pod, <laughs> yeah, dude. Come talk, dude. We'll talk comics and theology <laughs> forever. Come on, super gods. <laughs> we'll get him and Grant Morrison on the same, <laughs> same <laughs> yeah. panel. Dude, they've mentioned uh, Grant Morrison on Rogan and – that would oh, be the man. best interview. That ever. would be the most mushroomed yeah. out. Grant <laughs> Morrison on on Joe Rogan would be insane. Oh my god! Rogan wanted to be a comic artist when he was little. Is I guess. Didn't everybody? Not me. Oh <laughs> man, I did. I want to be a comic writer or something. Yeah. Well, you want to become a writer when you find out you can't draw. Mm-hmm. That's what. That was me. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. So I still want to work in comics. I, I, I get good ideas, but like, <laughs> can't draw them out. Man, yeah. that's deep, man. I mean, I feel like there's there's a. Uh, a wellspring to draw from, especially if we consider comic books in America are largely created by Jewish immigrants or the sons of Jewish immigrants yeah. who had a theistic worldview and background at the very least. There's a lot of stuff in yeah. there that I didn't know that that like actual Nazis came to the studio where Kirby was working and stuff and he like Oh, know, like American New York Nazis, yeah. He yeah. Like knocked them out. Beat <laughs> <laughs> <Like> them <laughs> up. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, Jack Kirby was Ben Grimm, like in real life. That was just smaller. That was him. <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, we've got some examples, and we don't have time to go through them, but I'm know. thinking through the week we'll probably do some videos on these because there's a long history of uh, the book of Genesis illustrated by R. Crumb, which is bizarre. I'll never get over that. That's so weird. The guy who did Fritz the Cat is also <laughs> illustrating Genesis. Um, Punk Rock Jesus, this book is terrible. It's not good at all. I'm sorry, Sean Murphy. I love you as an artist, but this writing is trash. Yeah. It's utter it's, trash. It's, it's the typical, like, cynical view of church and religion and stuff. And it's it's Jesus as a they, – they, 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 they claim to have found uh, remnants and DNA of Jesus and clone him. Right. And he's this, like, punk rock kid who hates everything. And, <laughs> and he wrote – I, I was reading because this is the deluxe edition. His little intro. He's like, I came up with this idea in 2006 after I left the faith. Uh, he was a Catholic. 
And he was like, and you know, when it started off, it was just to to piss off fundamentalists. I was like, yeah, I can tell by reading it. This yeah. isn't a good story. This is just you yeah. thinking you're edgy or whatever. Yeah, it's, but, but you know what? That that speaks to the idea of Jesus as a rebel, but that's actually not true mm. because Jesus right? <laughs> Jesus is reclaiming and yes. redeeming. He was back, a reformer. Back to yes. right. It's not trying to like upend. No. Oh, I hate everything. We need to think differently. He's like, no, no, no. You guys are are the rebels. <laughs> you Pharisees are the rebels. Yes. You are not following the law. You are not being consistent. You're hypocrites. And he's the only consistent one. Yes. And so he's not the rebellious. No, he was a like fundamentalist. Right. He was a fundamentalist reformer. Calling people to repent yes. of their rebellious ways and draw them back to Hyper -exclusive God's original too. intent. Yeah. Jesus was all the things that people complain about religion. He was a fundamentalist. He was a biblical literalist. He was a, he was a hyper exclusatory. He, <laughs> he made all kinds of statements like that. Yeah. But people like to put it in this like, well, Jesus was a rebel. Right. He was a hippie. He was for the people. He was against the power and against the man. And it's like, okay. he was friends with prostitutes and, and tax collectors. Like, yeah. yes, after he called them out for being prostitutes, right. and tax collectors. Yeah. Yeah. Is this like rebellious frame that they want to put Jesus in? Right. It's like, no, not really. Like, because again, it's wanting to see themselves as a hero of the story. Yeah. And that's not how it works. You're kind of the villain of the Bible. You're not the hero of the Bible. Yeah. You're, You're not David. This <laughs> <laughs> channel would say. You need to be rescued. You're yeah. not the one you're who's the, doing You're the afraid Israelite. Yes. You're the ones behind. who won't fight Goliath. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're not David. That's so good. So Man. perfect. So yeah, we'll try to get some more content up this week on the other stuff, uh, on the other books. I'm curious about this because I've yeah, never seen that I before. I found this at Half Price 2. It's called Good and Evil. It's a, it's all black and white. It's kind of like the Chromebook. I mean, okay. it's, it's not as it skips, but it has Bible verses at the bottom, kind of where they're at. Okay. In in the you know in Isaiah and in Genesis and I mean, it goes through Judges and Deuteronomy. It's, it goes through a lot. I mean, mm. it skips some. Like, I, like Joseph's whole story is not even in here. Wow. Yeah. So it just That's goes crazy. from like Abraham to Moses and stuff. It's like all right, you kind of skip some, but uh, but it goes through the New Testament too. Jesus okay. And stuff and. But it ends at like Acts, I think. That's interesting. I'm going to have to find, uh, if I ever can. When I was a kid, I had a book called The Adventure Bible. And yeah, I've seen other ones before, and they're it. not the same. Really? No, this one is very different. It was drawn in like a 1980s comic book style. It was like super well Marvel illustrated. Wolfman, like, yeah, it really did look like a Marvel Wolfman a perm. <laughs> <laughs> And a mullet. <laughs> big girls have big hair. Oh, man. We should redraw that now. Like <laughs> Peter with a mullet at Pentecost. <laughs> Slowly sleep, an open collar, hairy chest, medallion. Yeah, <laughs> it's like 70s. It really is. <laughs> but with that, we'll sign off for the day. Uh, like I said, follow us on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. We'll have stuff up on there. Uh, hopefully, more content coming soon. But in the meantime, this has been the time and the place. Thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you next week. See you.